Welcome to the Aspen UK podcast, where we bring people together to discuss topics that matter. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to this um, webinar where we are going to discuss India and UK together going ahead the way forward. It's the first joint event of Aspen UK and Aspen India, uh, now known as Ananta Aspen Center. Uh, Aspen UK is the youngest of the Aspens in the international network. And um, Penny Richards, the executive director, and Kiran Pastricha, the CEO of Ananta, have come together to organize uh, this evening's event. But uh, we have a great panel, and I hope uh, you will enjoy the discussion. Let's start with Lord Curran Billimoria, because he will be our first speaker. He's not just a business leader, as you would have gathered from his CV. Uh, his um, connect, if I can use that word, with education and higher education with universities is just amazing and uh, ex actually extraordinary. So Karan is business, Karan is education, and Karan is, of course, uh, a member of the House of Lords. So that's a one-liner on Lord Karan Billimoria of Chelsea. Nandita Segal Tali. Um, comes from the world of finance and investment, and we will reach out to her for her insights in that area. Uh, before we started, she was telling me about her last trip to India uh, with investors, and maybe Nandita will mention that in the course of the session. Her surname is a, is a, a legendary name in India. It's a British name, Tully, but uh, Tully is known in India uh, to everybody. And, and the man who carries that surname is a Mark Tully, who is um, Nandita's father-in-law. And it's, it's terrific to have Nandita with us today. Shobhana, I'm coming back to India now. Shobhana Kamineni, uh, Apollo, family, Apollo Hospital Enterprises, uh, daughter of uh, another legend, Pratap Reddy, Dr. Pratap Reddy, uh, legend in his lifetime, if I can say that, like Mark Telly, is a legend in his lifetime. So we have these two amazing ladies with uh, great ancestry, as it were. And uh, Shobhana comes from the healthcare side, and she is the first and so far, the only pres lady president of the CII. Uh, we are fighting a big battle in this male-dominated organization to see if we can get more women presidents coming forward. And finally, the man who, uh, who runs CII, the director general of CII, uh, Chandrajit Banerjee, uh, CII has been deeply involved with UK, as indeed has uh, Karan's uh, Karan is also president of CBI, the Confederation of British Industry. The CII and CBI are partners, and we will hear uh, 
uh, more about that as we go forward. I'm going to start, as I mentioned, with uh, Lord Karan Vilimoria. Karan, your, your country is coming um, out of COVID. I hope uh, you will tell us what the scene is in brief. Um, you are, Brexit has been with us over the last few years. So there's a new chapter in British uh, history to be written uh, as you disengage uh, from the European Union. So tell us a little bit about what's happening in the UK, how you see things and, and give us a sense of, of your country. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Tarun, and thank you to Ananta to the Aspen Center, the Aspen Institute. It's a privilege to take part. And it always helps when you're on a panel when you know uh, people on the panel well. And Tarun and I worked so closely together in the early days, going back to 2003, when you were Director General of the CII, and I was setting up the what is today the UK-India Business Council. And without your support, that organization wouldn't exist. And, uh, and your successor... CB, it's such a pleasure always to work with you as well. And the CII and CBI with the special relationship that exists between the UK and India, there's no better example of it than our two organizations to the extent that 40 years now, we're celebrating our partnership, the CII and the UK, and you are based within the CBI headquarters in Cannon Street in the city of London. So that's how close we are. And of course the Tully family, I'm privileged to know very, very well uh, and our great friends and Shobna, you and I are from Hyderabad, and we go back to college days where um, we've known each other and common friends. Um, and so that's how well we all know each other here. So it makes such a difference. Now, to answer your question, Karen, we are in an extraordinary situation where for four and a half years, Britain was dealing with Brexit. Uh, it was almost as if things had come to a standstill with this one issue that overshadowed everything else. And eventually, we finally left on the 31st of January last year. And then we were coming up to the transition, which finished on the 31st of December. At one stage, it looked as if it was going to be a no deal, which would have been absolutely disastrous. It would have been a huge price to pay all around for Europe and the UK. Fortunately, we managed to get at the last minute, on Christmas Eve, by the way, literally a week before the deadline, we got a deal. And it's a duty-free, quota-free, um, tariff-free deal. It's basic, but there is a deal. So we now have a platform from which to build on going forward. Now, where is the great challenge? The challenge, one, UK has always been seen as the gateway to Europe, particularly for Indian companies. I mean, I've just come off another, another CII event I was speaking where it's the India meets Britain tracker. Now there's a Britain meets India tracker uh, that's been announced in, in conjunction with Grant Thornton about the extent to which we invest in each other's countries. And if you look at the Indian companies in the UK, a lot of them, it's, it's treating the UK as a base for Europe. Now, we hope that as we continue, we will have that gateway to Europe aspect. The UK is the second or third largest recipient of inward investment in the world at any one time, because we're an open, outward-looking economy. We've got to retain that. We're the second largest services exporter in the world. We've got to retain that. What about the trade deals? The European Union, had over 60 bilateral trade deals with countries like Japan, Canada, all around the world. People said, oh, well, as a country of 66 million people, a block of 500 million people, you will never be able to roll over those trade deals. Well, before the 31st of December, we rolled over all of them, 
over 60 bilateral trade deals the EU had with other countries. Now what we're going to be doing is we're going to be making them bespoke for our for UK and for that country. But the big one, the big one that is that we're looking, the big two, I would say, one is the United States of America, the other is India. And in the meantime, Britain has says we're going to join the CPTPP, the Trans-Pacific uh, deal, which is 110 billion pounds of our trade is with those 11 countries. India is not a member of RCEP, uh, and that is another big trading block as well, which the UK is not joining. So for the UK and India to have a free trade agreement, I think is absolutely imperative. So the announcement of this enhanced trading partnership that we're going to be having for 10 years, which will hopefully lead to a free trade deal, is I think something to really look forward to um, and that we must work on. And the target, according to Guy Srikumar, our High Commissioner in the, in the UK, she said just now that the target is to get to 100 billion pounds of bilateral trade by 2030. That would make it four times, more than four times what it is today. That would mean it would be the equivalent of China and the UK today is 100 billion pounds and China and the CPTPP countries at the moment is 110 billion pounds. So that puts it into context. Now the pandemic, pandemic has hit Britain very, very badly. Uh, whichever way you look at it, we've had a very sad number of deaths, well over 100,000. Our infections are still there uh, at 10,000 a day. They're coming down, we're in our third lockdown. We've had a big second wave. We've got new variants of the virus that are in the UK, and we have struggled. We have had a very tough time with the pandemic. The government support has been tremendous. Our Indian origin Chancellor Rishi Sunak um, has provided almost 300 billion pounds worth of support. I mean, that is by any, uh, whether you measure it as per capita or whatever ratio you take, it's right up there in the world as one of the highest levels of support uh, given to businesses, or well, furlough scheme. Our unemployment rate before we went into the pandemic was 3.5%, one of the lowest in the country's history. And even after our economy sh shrinking by 9.9% in 2020, that's the worst in 300 years. I'm not exaggerating. The last time it was that was in the early 1700s. So that's how badly our economy suffered. What is our unemployment rate as we speak? Four and a half percent. And that is because the furlough scheme has helped preserve the jobs and preserve the businesses so that we're there to bounce back when the economy starts to reopen. The good news is our vaccination program has been fantastic. And I hope in the discussion we were talking about universities and business collaboration. Well, there is no better example of that than the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine, what they call the vaccine for the world, Kate Bingham, the head of our task force, was appointed on the 8th of May. The first inoculation was on the 8th of December. And as at that stage, we had two approved vaccines, the Pfizer-BioNTech, as well as the Oxford-AstraZeneca. Now we've got Moderna. Soon we'll have Johnson & Johnson. Then we'll have Novavax as well. And we've got 350 million doses for a population of 66 million. And we've done a fantastic job in that in terms of the research, Oxford, AstraZeneca, Swedish-British company, headquartered in Cambridge. And who are our partners? The Serum Institute of India, headed by my fellow Parsis, Aldar and Cyrus Punawala, who have done such a wonderful job, the largest vaccine manufacturers in the world. They've got a one billion dose contract with Oxford AstraZeneca. And I must not forget, Habib Korawala and the Wokhart factory in Wales, which is manufacturing vaccines in the UK for the UK. This is the, the strength of our collaboration at a time of crisis. 
And the final point I make is this. Looking ahead, in a pandemic, you're naturally trying to survive. If you're trying to survive, you're dealing with the horrors of every day. But it's also an opportunity to look ahead. And our Director General of the CBI made a speech just now for our, launching our economic recovery plan for 10 years for the UK. And he said it needs to be more 1945 than 2008. Because in 2008, after the financial crisis, we survived the financial crisis. Unemployment went up to 9, nearly 10%. And we had 10 years of austerity and no or very slow growth. And we suffered. And we, we must not have that again. 1945, after a horrible war, we had the beverage report. And the whole of the UK was transformed with the welfare state, the National Health Service. Similarly, we've got the huge, huge aspect of climate change. COP26, which the UK is hosting the UN summit in Glasgow in November. We're, we're heading the G7 and hosting that. CBI will be hosting the B7, which C, CBU and the CII will be taking part in. Because India's invited along with Australia and South Korea. And this is a great opportunity to take things further and build back after the pandemic. B7, G7 and COP26 coming up and uh, working together. So I'll leave it there, Tarun. Thank you very much. Thank you, Karan. Thank you so much. You know, listening to you and when you talked about the crisis, it reminds me of 1991, 30 years ago. India was in crisis, deep crisis, as you know, uh, balance of payments crisis. And um, when we changed direction, when we started opening the economy in the middle of 1991, the country which reached out to us first was the UK. I want to tell you this. The country which reached out to India first was the UK. And the Prime Minister of your country came out for, he was a chief guest at the Republic Day Parade in 1993, January, within a year and a half of the announcement of the liberalization, came to the CII headquarters and announced and launched the Indo-British Partnership Initiative, IBPI, of which CII was the Indian leg and manager and the DTI and the CBI uh, were on the other side. And we never looked back, you know. Uh, we kind of held each other and actually you held our hand very strongly. And within five years, we were at 7% GDP growth in India from almost zero. And so I go back to that time of crisis and time of uh, connect, uh, a reconnect between UK and India, which uh, was good for both countries, lot of business, increased trade, increased investment and all of that. So thank you for uh, giving us that context. I'll turn to Shobana next. Uh, she has this huge um, experience and knowledge of the healthcare sector. We are coming out of COVID uh, in all parts of the world. You have it. Uh, we have it. I think Shobana is the right person to have here to talk about healthcare collaboration, what we can do together. Karan has referred to the vaccine uh, situation, but I know that the healthcare collaboration is much more than just vaccines. Shobana? Hey, thanks, uh, Tarun. And uh, really, I think that uh, Karan set the stage uh, so amazingly, but what you put together was really 
about how uh, the ties of UK and uh, India are so intertwined. And uh, uh, I think it's, uh, it, it's, it's a first uh, human partnership. Uh, there's an emotional engagement. And, and I'd like to just dwell on that emotion before I move into the actual thing, because I think this is a year where humanity rediscovered uh, that it's important that, um, that, that actually kindness comes first, because in the healthcare sector, there's so many people that we have to thank that have given, that have given up their lives. And for people they didn't know, uh, this is a time when, you know, they just, they didn't ask, uh, this is not my relative, but what they said is, this is important and I have to save this life. And I think uh, this is something that, that really resonates. The world is not going to forget this fast. So while current uh, 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 1945 was really important, 1991 is important. Uh, the way that you got out of the crisis in 2008, important. But this is something that generations, again, are not going to forget. 2020. Uh, 2020 is going to be the year that redefines humanity. So this is the time that we really have to put our stamp on it. And it could be, there's a lot of economics that works. And, uh, and, and I think in healthcare, especially, what we've learned is that the world has changed forever. And in this change, where are, are our two countries going to play with this? Where are, uh, this will define us? Because we've seen, you know, just overnight, uh, patients couldn't get to doctors. We happened to have this digital channel that switched uh, everybody on. It's right behind me, Apollo 247, that, that actually through telemedicine. And now it's become ubiquitous because around the world, people have realized you don't have to go to a doctor and then it'll start you know, moving across borders. So really uh, uh, geography is going to become history. That, that around the world we can get one level of care. And, and I think this is really an important thought. So together as, as countries, we can start redefining what are the new metrics with uh, people say that you need a thousand doc, uh, one doctor for every thousand patients. Maybe that's not true. It can be one doctor for every 2000. The whole metric will change around the world what you need in terms of healthcare. And I think this is an opportunity for us to redefine. This is, this is the time we should take it. Uh, fortunately for us, we have a great partnership. Uh, before the lockdown, we actually uh, bought into uh, uh, the University of Birmingham as a campus on crew. We said, can we make this the first uh, universal healthcare uh, campus of educating, uh, of educating healthcare workers right from you know, paramedics to nurses to radiologists to uh, to doctors, and and we've reopened. Uh, uh, UK needs two thousand radiologists. The training is actually happening. The first degree, the joint degree, is going to be given from India and UK. So this sparks some great ideas. As India opens up its university laws, can we start having global degrees? And I think this is something that. That, that would be a global import, even uh, where, as, you, as you move to the G7 and, and as you move to different forums of the Commonwealth, that we can start there and say, can, can uh, our doctors, can our nurses, as India works growing, growing 
And I think there's, there's a huge opportunity there. The vaccines has already been spoken about. It was not important now. It's always been important. I mean, serum didn't just come out of nowhere. It came out because it was supplying polio vaccines. It was supplying the other vaccines for the rest of the world. Uh, the fact that now it's in the spotlight uh, has really identified that India is also the genetics manufacturer for the world. And I think this is really important. So as we move, but, but a lot of that technology, it's not just the fantastic UK technology, but also the UK trusts that have supported uh, the Wellcome Trust and all these others that have supported uh, that growth in India. So I think we should, we should recognize that, uh, that while indust what industry needs to flourish is great access to capital, is great access to technology. And I think that uh, while India charts its $5 trillion destiny, the UK must be cognizant of this and say, where is it? Where is our role? Uh, uh, to me, narrow field of healthcare, I see a great but I know that Nandita and all the others current will see that, um, uh, that there's a lot more. So I would like this audience actually to open up your mind and say, this is a country that is going to move to be a $5 trillion economy. And, and what, what is that that UK can be a part of when we have such great emotional ties, when we have such great history? And I'll stop here. Thank you so much, Shobana. I think you are showed us a very big picture uh, of collaboration and partnership in the healthcare space. And you used, uh, uh, you, you used this words about capital just now, and that kind of seamlessly takes me to Nandita. Uh, Nandita, you are from the capital, finance and investment area. Uh, nothing can happen without you. Everybody needs money for everything. So over to you for your opening remarks. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Das. Um, so I absolutely want to pick up on a point that Shobhana just made. Um, 2020 absolutely redefined humanity. It also redefined, apart from in, in certain aspects like healthcare, which has been widely covered, it also really redefined the way we work, the way we travel. I mean, things in those aspects of our everyday lives are, are not going to be the same. And that really made a huge focus for, in everybody's minds about climate change and pollution and this uh, idea of sustainability of resources. And with this backdrop, um, it's really important to um, for us as investors and for uh, corporates to see how do we go forward now in 2021 doing things differently than we did before. Now, um, we as an asset manager at Thomas Lloyd, uh, we, uh, we are investors in sustainability and uh, in a sustainability and sustainable infrastructure. And we've been banging the drum for climate change and sustainability and renewable energy for, for 10 years, but often we're on our own. And I think 2020 put that on the map with a lot of people. Um, and and uh, sustainability and um, ESG investing goes beyond just 
uh, climate change, it, it, it covers so many other aspects of the investing cycle that we have seen that this pandemic brought to the forefront, like supply chains and uh, trade relationships, etc. Um, and just to pick up a, um, a point on what uh, Lord Billamore had said, which is, you know, in this special relationship between the UK and India, but more widely also governments now um, really pushing growth post the pandemic. This is the point that is, is very close to investors' hearts. What investors want is to, to invest in climates where there's growth, there's stability, and there is you know, a regulatory uh, framework and, and a legal framework which, is, which they can rely on. And India and the, and the UK have always had this uh, special relationship for investment, and it's a bilateral relationship, Indian companies investing in the UK and vice versa. I mean, last year, even despite the pandemic, FDI flows into India jumped 13%. Uh, to 57 billion. Um, a lot of that was in the digital economy. We saw some very large investments into the digital economy, but outside of that, uh, there was major investment in infrastructure, in healthcare, and you know, many, many other, um, other sectors. So that is a theme we really want to build on. And, uh, and with the recent union budget that was um, an announced uh, in India, the theme really was, get, let's get back to growth. So, so I think that's a very positive climate for investors in general. Thank you so thank much. You so thank, much. You, thank you for your... Mr. Banerjee, CII, 40 years in UK, uh, with an office with, in CBI, uh, Cannon Street, Oxford Street, back to Cannon Street. Yeah, you yeah. have yeah, it's, it's... you have a great, great engagement with the UK. You have uh, you have a lifelong commitment to this bilateral relationship. So, over to you. Let Let's listen to you a little bit. What are you doing now? What are you thinking? What are you going to do with the UK? So uh, thank you. Thank you very much. It's a great, great to be here in this uh, session. And thank you for giving me this opportunity. Uh, you know, uh, I'd just like to stop, uh, to try to capture the, my three uh, earlier speakers, what they said, uh, and, and take it from there uh, for the next couple of minutes. Uh, I, I first really focus on the huge uh, uh, emerging opportunity and the emerging opportunity, which was touched upon and with the UK is certainly an economy that has just separated. It's, it's at the crossroad, it's separated from the EU market, while India, a phenomenal resource, talent-rich economy, large market for the UK. And the, the economic engagement today, really, if one sees it, it's really encompassing multiple dimensions of trade and investment, quite a few of it which touched upon by current, extending to manufacturing, extended services, to agriculture, infrastructure, healthcare was covered, technology, and areas like defense, sustainability is just covered, innovation, R&D. So it's just, just so multifarious, actually. But I just want to dwell a few minutes, a few seconds, really, on, on the trade and investment piece. And, and, and the, I just want to throw in a few numbers. And uh, Karan referred to 
uh, the, this uh, twin study, a Grant Thornton study that we, uh, with CII, which we did, one for the inve uh, of Indian investments flowing into U UK and the other way around. And uh, the one that we had released a few months back uh, basically talked about just 850 Indian companies uh, operating in the UK with a combined rev revenue of more than 41 billion pounds and, and, and employing over uh, over over 110,000 odd people in the UK and uh, and and uh, it's paying over 450 around 460 probably a million in uh, pounds in corporation tax and look at that and look at what's happening for the other way around and uh, and the first edition of the uh, report of uh, uh, investments coming in from the UK into India which was just just uh, published a few minutes back before this program uh, Karan was there 570 plus UK companies in India with a com combined turnover which is exceeding three uh, three thousand uh, three thousand odd billion Indian rupees and employing over to almost two and a half two and a half hundred uh, two and a half hundred thousand uh, people uh, some some great names some household names really which have come up over the over the last few years straight has been sluggish and I think it will be uh, with this uh, with, with, with uh, this type of investment and with the type of opportunity that uh, UK really throws up with its uh, 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 trade alliances, which Karan spoke about, uh, it throws up a huge opportunity with the demand in India. Having said that, I just like to also really want to focus on the significant outcome that we have had, uh, or rather we are going to have uh, with uh, our prime minister, uh, with first the UK prime minister coming into India in April of this year and our prime minister going to the UK in June uh, for the G7 sum, uh, summit meeting. These are two big, big events that we, one is looking forward to and that really uh, speed forwards all of this discussion today. And we just had the sec uh, Secretary of State uh, for International Trade visiting, emphasized on the enhanced uh, trade partnership, fantastic meetings uh, uh, with our ministers and, and, and one saw a huge, huge positivity in these meetings and the outcomes. We've seen it in the papers, we have met her uh, um, uh, and, and we saw that it's a phenomenal buoyancy and going into areas like financial sector, green energies, uh, manufacturing, all of that being focused on. And of course, uh, uh, the COP presidency with the, with the UK, uh, the type of opportunity that throws up. And uh, you talked about CII's long presence of 40, for, in 40 years through our office. Uh, one, one event which takes place annually, which, has been, which is a very important uh, events, and you know about it, since the last 40 years has been taking place, is the annual ritual of spending uh, with CEOs like Shobhana, the president of CII, leading a group of CEOs into, into, uh, into UK every summer, spending quite a few days. Uh, and, and that really opens up so many more avenues. And that really drives uh, the spirit and the business engagement forward. And that throws open so many other sectors. We talked about the financial services sector, which is a great sector. We talked about areas which is uh, like the entire field of technology. And, and with, uh, with in, in, in one of the biggest things that UK can give in the area of manufacturing is technology, industry 4.0, advanced manufacturing, all, all that piece. That piece is going to be so important with India hungry to make, to make, make an India successful. So that's, that's a big, big piece that we are really looking forward to. And with COP26, this entire uh, gamut of green, uh, that, that, that re uh, and green collaboration that gets thrown up between our two countries. And, and, and the space with the pace with which India 
would be growing uh, sooner than later with, op with opening up taking place and uh, you refer to the financial sector, insurance getting now opened up. It, it's just a world of opportunity also for UK into India. Defense manufacturing, say for instance, is a big, big area again, I, I would really like, uh, uh, and, and we would be focusing big time on it. And I'd really like to end with two quick points. One is, uh, it was mentioned by Karan to an extent, but I think a huge piece is education. Again, we are seeing reforms in the edu, long awaited reforms in the education sector happening in India. That really opens up huge avenues. And that's, 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 the, that's the opportunity UK should seize. And another, uh, the last area which I wanted to speak about, which sometimes gets hidden and lost when we try to work on so many opportunities is the, is, is who, uh, the, the people, really the real people on the ground who are going to make things happen, the small and the medium enterprises. And that's, those, are the, those are the institute connects that we must, we have not done very well on it. We need to do well on it. That's, the, that's which will really take forward our trade in a big way. So I'll stop there for the time being. Thank you. Thank you, Chandri. Thank you very much. Uh, Karan, when you uh, look at your agenda as president of CBI, I mean, you're dealing with the whole world and uh, you must be taking a fresh look at America now uh, with the new administration and the new leadership there um, and hopefully uh, a good recovery in the economy there. Um, Europe, continental Europe seems to be still in, in a difficult situation. Uh, I am coming out of some uh, policy meetings today in Delhi uh, with a very uh, strong input to me about the commitment for growth, high growth um, and uh, higher growth. Do you see that your members, your companies in UK uh, will give attention to India? Uh, will they see a market here? Uh, will you be doing some hand-holding? Uh, what is your perception here? And if you could also spend a minute or two on your the education hat, which Chandrajit referred to. If education is opening up, uh, you have some great universities there. Uh, I was educated at one over there, and I still consider that my second home. So um, where do you see that going? Do you see... Uh, the corporate sector and the education sector both driving into India. Uh, th thank you very much, uh, Tarun. And just, just uh, I will answer your question, but I, uh, you spoke about the formation of the Indo-British Partnership in 1993. Yes. And it was in 2003 to celebrate the 10th anniversary. Uh, and I was um, very luckily as the first Indian origin UK co-chair yeah. Uh, appointed then, and that's when we first started working together. Yeah. And my counterpart, the Indian co-chair, was Narayan Murthy, yes. our Chancellor Rishi Sunak's father-in-law. Yes. So that's where my friendship with Narayan Murthy started. And yeah. then Sunil Mittal took over from him. And of course, Sunil Mittal of Etel has now invested hugely in this satellite venture, uh, OneWeb, with the British government, a billion-pound investment, um, joint investment between the two, to launch these um, satellites, these special satellites. So that's another example to CB's point of, of te technology and collaboration and the really high tech space, the space area. I mean, India has been so far ahead of the game with space. Britain, we've just, I mean, I'm one of my roles, I'm a, an honorary group captain in the Royal Air Force. 
and we now just launched our space command. So we, we've been taking it that seriously, uh, that space is, is very much something on the agenda. Um, and, and of course, what Shobhana, uh, Nandita, what both of you said as well, and Shobhana, you know, the kindness during this whole pandemic, it's come through time and time again. Uh, yesterday, I was an event with the, our leader of the opposition, Keir Starmer, with the restaurant industry. And, you know, restaurants, I mean, Cobra Beer, we supply 7,500 restaurants. For over half the time going back to March, almost a year, we've been shut. Zero business, other than a few takeaways. And in spite of that, these restaurants have opened their kitchens, gone and prepared meals free of charge, hundreds of meals, gone to their local hospitals and delivered it for the doctors and the nurses and the staff. I mean, it's just, it, when you're down on your knees, you still will do that and show compassion and show community spirit. So I think that's come through so much uh, in, in this pandemic. Um, and, and your point, Darren, about America, there's no question about it. I've always said this time and again, UK has two special relationships, one with the USA, the other with India. And where the USA is concerned in absolute terms, it's almost 15% of our trade. So it's by far our number one trading partner as a country. The European Union at our doorstep, even if it is declining, as we speak now, is 45% of our trade. So it's really important to us. The whole of the Commonwealth, all for 54 countries, 2.6 billion people, of which India makes up half the population. India, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, all the other Commonwealth countries make up only less than 10% of the UK's trade. So that's why it's really important that we focus on ramping up the trade and having this target of 100 billion by 2030. Then it'll be more like it should be. <clears throat> there are trading volumes that should be there. And the investment that CB spoke of both ways between the UK and India, which is going apace. The average growth rate of a British company investing in India at the moment is 26%, according to the CII Grant Thornton report. That's phenomenal. Where in the world are you going to get 26% growth rates and that too in tough times? So that shows the potential. To answer your question about universities, um, as, as Chancellor of the University of Birmingham and Shobna spoke about the University of Birmingham, um, you know, our medical school is one of the top medical schools in, in the country. We're one of the largest universities in, in the UK, Russell Group, top 100 in the world. The, the UK is India's second largest research partner with bilateral research expected to touch 400 million pounds. So there is a huge amount there. And if I give you the examples of research that just one university like Birmingham does with India, it's in women's cancer, drinking water, air pollution, antimicrobial resistance, clean cooling technology, global surgery, genomics, sports performance, sports. I mean, you've got the Commonwealth Games being hosted in Birmingham. And Birmingham will be, the university will be a big part of hosting Commonwealth Games. And India, of course, is the biggest medal winner in the Commonwealth Games, or one of the biggest medal winners, certainly. So we, you know, that's another area that we work on. Post-surgical complications. There are 500,000 deaths a year because of surgery. That, and we are working on with India and partnering to try and prevent that. The railways. Birmingham has the top railway institute in the world as a university. And we have our own functional railway station as a university, the only one that has a, a working railway station within the university. We've partnered, and I signed this last year, with the Indian Railways and with the new railway university that is now in India. And we're working with the Indian Railways to do with signaling and simulations. And finally, I'll give you one more example. Cambridge University, where, where I'm a fellow of my college and I've just finished sharing the business school, I've been chairing the Tigris project. And the Tigris project is the most amazing project 
to do with the second green revolution. We've been working with, I've been chairing the advisory board there in collaboration in India with disciplines from archeology span and energy to crop science, to social science, with policymakers in India, two million farmers in the state of Punjab alone, digital information to farmers, fundamental crop research science, identifying heat and drought resistant crop lines. All this one project, 58 billion liters of water in just two growing seasons have been saved. Women are being empowered through education entrepreneurship and researchers. So this is just, I'm just giving you two universities and some specific examples of the potential of collaboration. Thank you, that's, that's really impressive. That's, uh, Nandita, I want to come to you, uh, back to you. Um, is it now your time, because you talked about sustainability, is it now your time? Has climate change finally come? Has climate, uh, the crisis hit everybody hard enough? Um, and again, with the uh, US presidency change, do you see a strong leadership? Uh, we are seeing a very strong leadership in India now. There is um, uh, that old defensiveness is, is, seems to have gone, uh, blaming other people, uh, focusing on what we need to do. Uh, the International Solar Alliance is an example of where India, uh, the Prime Minister led with a Macron of France. Um, so how do you see this climate change area, investment, climate change, uh, finance going in there? Do you see this as an opportunity, as a growth area in, in, in India-UK uh, connect? Yes, absolutely. And to answer that question, I hope so. I hope this is our time. I think um, uh, something like the events of 2020 put climate change on the map for a lot of people because um, we saw um, the skies around us and the, you know, from, the, from the halting of, uh, of uh, also traffic, um, the pollution, I mean, in Delhi, the pollution vastly um, uh, the air quality vastly, um, uh, got better when the traffic died down. So I think, I, I think people have woken up to climate change because at the end of the day, we as a country, um, whether we sit in, uh, in the UK, in Europe or India, we all breathe one air. Global, the, the air around us, what happens in a, in a high uh, emitting country is not someone else's problem. It's all our problems. Um, this is something that we've been saying for years when we have been channeling investment into uh, sustainable forms of energy. And, um, and absolutely uh, agree with you. Uh, India has been at the forefront in, in, uh, in, in leading um, uh, in the International Solar Alliance. Uh, they have made commitments uh, well beyond uh, what was even expected and they've been uh, making commitments above that. Um, energy transition in India has, uh, is on a good trajectory. Um, the government uh, has, has made, um, uh, you know, um, has made it very uh, public that they would like to see 175 gigawatts of uh, renewable energy installed. 
um, by 2023, of which 100 gigawatts is, um, is from solar. I mean, that's a phenomenal number. Um, so, so India is really leading the way. Where Britain leads the way is in, in technology. There are many um, solutions that come out of uh, UK companies, whether they're storage solution, um, uh, you know, paneling solutions, um, uh, climate change systems and, and, and AI monitoring, et cetera. And working with UK and India working together uh, both on uh, the scale of the opportunity that's required, but also the technology solutions that may enhance delivery of that is very important. You have brought out invest investors from different countries to India, Nandita. Yes. Yeah. Um, was it about a year ago? I think you brought a large number of investors. Uh, Absolutely. A year ago, um, we took... Um, approximately 150 investors from uh, UK and Europe to India on a, um, uh, on a sort of roadshow to showcase to them both the um, macro uh, investment opportunity, but then uh, very specific to our fund, the investment opportunity in energy infrastructure and renewable energy. And uh, you know, the benefit of actually going and seeing and touching and, 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 and uh, and going into the interior, so beyond the, the metros, et cetera, to see where the need was, it, it, I think is very important for people. People really buy it for the longer term when they can see that opportunity. Um, so we showcased um, not, not only, and they spoke to a lot of ex experts um, on the ground, including people from the government, et cetera, and, and, and uh, trade bodies, but they actually went remotely. And when you show them a plant, that's a 300 acre site, which then provides electricity to clean electricity to, um, uh, to you know, hundred and uh, over 150,000 people where previously they were not connected, it, it's life-changing, you know, and it's life-changing for the people who now have this clean electricity. Apart from all of that, it creates jobs. Um, and, um, and, and that also, um, you know, all goes towards stimulating the local economy. Thank you. Shobana, there are so many opportunities and there are so many, uh, you know, it's like a windscreen wiper going from, left to right, right to left, and everywhere, every drop that this wiper touches is, is an area of opportunity. Uh, what would your be, what would your priorities be? Would you have any thoughts about that? Where would you like the focus to be? Uh, do we spread ourselves thinly, try to do everything? Do we focus on a few areas uh, between India and UK? Uh, what, are, what would be your ideas on this? You're, you're, you're muted, Shobhra, you're muted. Sorry. Sorry. Like, uh, like Tarun said, uh, when I was president, I, I had the opportunity to take a bunch of CEOs to England. And uh, that was just before, you know, setting up for the Commonwealth. And uh, had the, also had the opportunity of meeting a lot of the CEOs and a lot of our Indian companies. So what we've seen is that... Uh, uh, many of this of the companies from India that go to England are really ones that are investing in manufacturing, 
uh, the technology companies are putting service bases over there, but it's really tech companies. And, and I think that, uh, uh, and, and the manufacturing uh, that was using it for EU and uh, current. Uh, I was involved in many discussions that said, uh, do we need another base? What happens post-Brexit? So uh, I think it was amazing that you said that you, you that uh, England renegotiated 60 of them and now the working bespoke. I think that uh, you need to stem the tide so that people don't think that they have to go outside because uh, Britain for us, uh, is a very natural uh, step. I mean, like, uh, you know, for any Indian to go there. So for us, it was the most comfortable. We had opportunities, better financial opportunities in other countries. But the way, but when we invested in England, I think that there was, uh, there was also an emotional tie. My dad worked there and uh, he's also a fellow of the Royal College of Surgeons and uh, the physicians, that's kind of rare. But having said that, I think that's it, Tarun. There's a lot of sentimental attachment. So, so Indians will continue to keep investing. I know that Sunil loves it. During COVID, he was there because he said he doesn't get recognized. He can bike around London and, and, have, and, and have a beer at a pub and nobody knows he's Sunil Mittal. So I think some, some amount of that is very nice that a lot of Indians go there. But more important, why would, why would the uh, British companies want to invest in India? And I think that's where the $5 trillion opportunity, that's where you said a 26 uh, minimum percent of growth. Uh, I look at JCB that is doing fantastically. That's one of your poster boys. Uh, but apart from that, I think that there are opportunities in India opening up, not just in the infrastructure. If you see the budget, and the enthusiasm. I know that a lot of people in England were actually watching the budget to see what it would bring. And, and as you see your deficit uh, balloon and, and huge liquidity available in the world, I think that India will continue to be one of the most attractive destinations if we can get our ease of business better. But again, I've always said, business people don't want a red carpet because then the returns won't be and the growth won't be as high as India has. So, so we're seeing, you know, and, and if you ask me, Tarun, I think it'll, it'll lay in, in areas that will make a difference for India. Those small differences like digital, uh, if you see today e-commerce has got the most amount of investment. If you see that the companies, what's happening today, the digital companies, the amount of capital that is chasing them is actually kind of insane. And, and I think that's where the growth in India will be because we still are a consumer-led economy. And having said that, we'll continue to be as 1.3 billion people move up the ladder and continue to you know, uh, need and want uh, various uh, things that will, uh, that, that will match up to the rest of the world. I think that India will still be driven by that at least for the next 20 years, if not 30. So in every area, whether it's property, whether it's financial services, whether it's healthcare and, and consumer demand, FMCG, and we're seeing a lot of this come. Again, I leave you with that thought. If we're going to be 5 trillion, uh, I think that many countries are assessing how important it is to be 
Thank you. Thank you. Chandrajit, uh, you know, with all this uh, focus on uh, foreign investment promotion into India, and UK has traditionally been uh, a big player in that, uh, do you see any concerns uh, amongst the foreign investors about um, licensing technology, about transfer of technology, um, in your conversations with your uh, in your delegations to the UK, uh, is is it is it fine? Is, is the environment technology environment uh, relaxed? Is there any tension there? No, uh, it's more than that. Actually, uh, there. To, uh, uh, let me try and talk about two pieces which really comes out as concerns. Uh, 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 yes, of course, technology uh, has been uh, 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 one area where the transfer of technology and the and and the uh, uh, the IPR issue has come up uh, over and over again. Uh, but then there are a huge amount of steps which has been taken by India in the recent past as far as IPR is concerned, and we uh, hear that much lesser today. But the issue which remains is something which I would say quite similar to a domestic investor as well as a foreign investor. And that, that piece is really about uh, sanctity and enforcement of contracts. And I think that's one area where India can uh, uh, really, really uh, move much ahead. And as Shobna was speaking about the ease of doing business, uh, business index, uh, that one particular issue can change uh, change uh, India and bring India to the first 50 nations or even below that. Uh, so, and that's that's a point of cont uh, 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 contention, which is pretty much uh, in the minds of any foreign and also domestic investor, I must say, uh, and much more so in the foreign investor, because the foreign investor will have that much uh, limited uh, understanding of navigating uh, through uh, such a, uh, through this maze, which uh, Indian invest investor, uh, is able to. But having said that, it really brings me to the second point, And that is, which I often say that uh, India is 29 India, uh, 29 mini Indias. And we need to be, uh, we, we need to understand that in perspective of the foreign investors. So when you are investing in a particular uh, state of India, you need to understand that state, you need to really uh, get much more involved. So we've, it's not one size fit all, or it's not the same, whether you're investing in state X or state Y or state Z, it's very, very different. So that is a difference, which uh, I think uh, lots of foreign investors try to understand. And we try to reflect to them that this is how you handle. And it's very important for you to understand the local level issues, uh, which is so very important for a foreign investor. And that's something which, which that's, that's the, that's the difficult piece as far as India is concerned. But I think more, more and more companies uh, who have been working in India for years, or for, and especially UK, many of them have stayed engaged for a large number of years, understand as to how to navigate uh, through, this, uh, uh, through this issue of uh, different, uh, different types of welcome or red carpet uh, or not the red carpet in a, in a state that Shobhna spoke about. Karan, uh, thank you, thank you, Chandrit, for that. Um, Karan, you talked about education and the great universities and the work being done, um, especially you referred to Birmingham. But I think that applies to many other universities in England because you have some outstanding universities. Do you see, especially at this time of resource shortage after COVID and during COVID, that 
the focus of work will be or collaboration will be in the campuses in UK. And you have, we do not visualize the universities setting up campuses in India. Uh, I'm just trying to figure out how this process will work. Is it we are going there, uh, we will sponsor research, we will, uh, of course, students are going there. Uh, uh, how do you see this going forward? Do you see this to be essentially um, work being done in the UK, uh, in the universities there, for Indian companies, Indian investors, or do you see some relocation or additional campuses being set up? How, how, what's the picture that you see ahead of you? Yeah, Darren, I'm going to answer that question. Before that, if I may just pick up on one or two of the points that have just been brought up that I don't want to lose. Sure. Um, so, so, for example, um, uh, Shoshan, I think you mentioned the, the Indian budget. Now, uh, what a good budget in terms of insurance, the limit going up from 49% to 74%. So this constant liberalization reform and opening up, I think, is such an important thing, and the budget showed that. But again, on the 1st of February, I remember taking part in an event, I think, CB, you were, you were there with the um, secretary of the DEA, and you said, and he said, no tax increases in this budget because we don't, businesses have suffered enough in the pandemic and we don't want to stifle the recovery. If only Rishi Sunak was listening to that because our budget is on the 3rd of March and our message is very clear from the CBI as well. Now is not the time to raise taxes. You will stifle the recovery and businesses have suffered enough. Second point that you made in that uh, event was the investment. You just mentioned the states. There's now, is it 50-year interest-free loans to the states for infrastructure investment? And we talk about leveling up agenda in the UK. Well, yeah, how about this for leveling up? Give the investment, allow the regions to invest in infrastructure. So I think there's a lot that we can, we can learn um, uh, from, from India and from each other the whole time. Now, to your point specifically uh, about, the, about universities, the big, big move is the new um, education policy of India. I remember at the end of the last Dr. Manmohan Singh's government, um, Shobhana, fellow Hyderabadi Palam Raju, who was the uh, education minister, he had a plan for foreign universities to uh, open up in India. If you remember that, Tarun and CB, it came very close, but then they lost office. And we said, oh, come on, this has got to happen at some stage. What's happened now with this new policy? I don't know how soon it's going to be implemented, but I believe it is now a definitive policy that foreign universities will be able to open up in India. The Birmingham, University of Birmingham is opening up a state-of-the-art campus in Dubai. We will be one of the universities who will almost definitely be interested in investing and in, and, and in putting up campuses in India, as will many other British universities who have campuses in China, in Malaysia, all over the world. American universities will be interested. And I think that is going to be such a great opportunity for India to have this uh, world-class capacity, capability, increasing uh, the offering, having students do exchanges with those universities. Uh, you know, you can do one year in India, one year in Birmingham, or Birmingham students can do a, an exchange in India. The academic uh, collaborations, the faculty exchanges, uh, the, the, the potential is enormous. So I see that as a big opportunity. The other thing is foreign students to the UK. I, want, I wear two hats. I, I co-chair the all-party parliamentary group on international students in, in, in our parliament. 
And I'm also the president of UKISA, which is the head of all 450,000 international students in, in the UK. We removed the two-year post-graduation work visa that I helped to bring in from the UK and the roundtable, if you remember, Karen, going back uh, 2007, we brought in the two-year post-graduation work visa for all international students. They could stay on and work in the UK for two years after graduating. Theresa May, when she was home secretary, removed that. Number of Indian students dropped, for example. It's now been reintroduced, it's coming back in now. Even on the announcement of that, University of Exeter is one example, the amount of Indian students applying increased by over 300%. Because if you have the opportunity to stay on and work for two years, you can earn some money to help pay for your university fees, you can gain some work experience, you can build the bridges even more between the UK and India. So that sort of initiative is gonna make a big difference. And I see more and more Indian students coming to the UK than ever before with the two-year postgraduate. And by the way, it's three years if you do a PhD. On top of that, we've now got the Turing scheme, which is a student exchange scheme to replace the European Erasmus scheme. We'll have student exchange open to students from all around the world to come and spend a term in the UK and vice versa, UK. And I want more and more UK students to come to India. And the final point I make is this, it's all linked also to the immigration rules. We've now got a points-based immigration system in the UK that's just started this year. We've got to watch that closely to see if it genuinely does make it easier for people to come and work in the UK, including from India. But one of the things that Preeti Patel, our Home Secretary, has announced is a youth mobility scheme. And that's going to be key because we can get more young people from the UK to come to India and see the opportunity for themselves on the ground. That will lead to more business in the long run. That will lead to more SMEs opening up in India. That'll lead to more interaction in the future. So that youth mobility is absolutely key in the future. Karan, you mentioned immigration, um, and um, that's always a issue we are not clear about. Are we going? Are we seeing a more relaxed immigration policy? Are we seeing a tighter immigration policy? What are we? What are we seeing uh, from the? What, what should Indian uh, industry? expect in terms of immigration uh, as far as UK is concerned for people to go and work there or whatever? Well, the, the government would say that the new policy should enable the UK economy to get the skills that it requires from everywhere in the world. So there's no more free movement from the European Union. So we had a huge number of European Union citizens who would work in the UK. Now it's the same rules for everybody, this points-based system. But one of the examples that makes it easier, earlier, if you wanted to employ somebody from outside the European Union, you had to first make sure that that job was advertised in the UK. And if no one in the UK could do that job, only then were you allowed to bring in somebody from outside. That's now been removed. So as long as somebody has the points, they can compete on an equal basis, even with a domestic uh, person seeking that job. So it should make it easier for people with the right skills to come and work in the UK. But the proof of the pudding will be in the eating. And we're watching it very, very closely uh, to see if it does genuinely deliver uh, the, the requirements that we need. Nandita, I wanted to ask you, uh, this is actually, I'm now referring to questions which are coming in on my uh, WhatsApp. Uh, and I'm not strictly following the wording of the question, but I'm getting uh, the sense across to you all. Uh, one of the ways, uh, routes for foreign investors is strategic alliance, or I suppose you call it joint ventures or strategic alliance uh, in smaller Indian firms, uh, tying up with them. 
are there any particular areas where you see this form of capital inflow uh, inflow are are your investors uh, open to this are they closed would they rather prefer i mean i know that your first investment from your firm in a, a clean energy company uh, was in a mid-sized i i would call it a mid-sized company yes. right and um, small to medium it's not one of the big boys so that gives me a sense that you are open but i think this question has come so i'd like you to maybe elaborate on it and tell us what you think about investing in smaller firms um absolutely you're right our first investment into india when we made it in 2018 is in what we would consider a medium sized player in the sector in the renewable energy sector and i think why that the whole idea of joint ventures and having a local partner is important and of course the key is finding the right partner for you i mean that there's been a, a, a long history of partnerships and jvs that haven't worked because the two partners weren't aligned so it's important up front to do your due diligence on the partner and vice versa but that aside one of the reasons it's very important is exactly going back to the point that mr banerji was making that india is 29 mini indias the 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 states the local uh, knowledge the, pre, the you know language um, operating conditions vary from state to state so often it is it, it is beneficial to have a, a partner who is um knows how to navigate all those local issues Right. and 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 this will you know benefits both parties because alongside that partner you also you know increase your knowledge skills bases increases and and so it it is the ideal and in fact our investment whilst whilst it was a you know normal uh, from from an asset management point of view a private equity type investment effectively effectively it is a partnership it is it is a joint venture and we consider our um uh, our investi company in in delhi very much our partners so if the cii or these two uh, people who come from hyderabad uh, and he mentioned hyderabad several times during this conversation uh, come up with um, uh, 5 10 15 you know uh, small to medium companies who want to grow uh, yes. who who need uh, finance who who want investment in their companies can they come to you yeah ha- yes happy to look at them as they, as long as they fit the the sure. uh, investment strategy of our firm which is sustainable infrastructure yes so happy there to- you are shobhana you <laughs> you better get your hyderabad guys together and i think cb you know when you when you have your you have this, such a large uh, division of small and medium enterprises in your in your organization i think you've got thousands of them and if, but let's not look at thousands but if you could distill that into a short list of companies and and absolutely important that they are going to be committed to sustainability and sustainable development then maybe here is one person on the panel who's willing to uh, you know look at these cases and consider Uh, so maybe you could have an offline conversation after this um, and, and i think if i may just add one last point to that yeah. 
Um, I, I, you know, in terms of being on the radar and open for investment, the large companies get, you know, they're already on the radar. Right. They have a lot of capital chasing them. And, and it's often the smaller and the medium-sized companies that don't have that same access. So it is nice to see and showcase smaller and medium-sized companies that also with the right investment, but also with the right strategic partner and some uh, you, you know, guidance on how to make yourself an international company to international standards, they can also grow and become the larger guys, you know? So really? that is, they are the sector that don't have that same access to international investment. I think this is a very good lead, uh, CB, and uh, also uh, Shobana, for the system to hear, to think about smaller and medium companies. Yes, Shobana. Uh, uh, actually, uh, it works two ways, uh, uh, Tarun. Uh, what India provides, and we've seen a lot of new companies come to us and say, can you help us scale? Can you help us? Because where the sandboxes in India can actually help uh, UK companies, the small, new, uh, innovative tech companies where they don't really have access to customers and, and the kind of consumers that India has that can help them scale. So, so especially in healthcare, we get a lot of experts, yeah. You know, so, yeah. so we have I, an innovation hub in one of our hospitals. And I think there's a good opportunity for that in India. Karan, you wanted to say something. Just to back up what, you know, what Shobna was just saying and what Nandita said earlier, about how investment has continued to flow into India, even in the tough times of the pandemic. And the CBI did a, a sterling access report, I think uh, with, probably in conjunction with the CII, I think, uh, CB. Yeah. And that report showed that in the midst of the pandemic, in the horrible times, you know, March, April, May, June, British companies put in 140 million pounds into India. By September, that had increased to 1 billion pounds. And I think, Namita, you mentioned the figure of 5 billion pounds dollars of, of investment. Well, a huge chunk of that has come from the UK. So the investment is, is, is willing to come in even in the toughest of times. And we can use that. The opportunity to SMEs is huge. Great, great. You know, this has been the first, uh, as I mentioned, uh, joint event of uh, Aspen UK and the Ananta Aspen Center. And I hope there will be many more focusing on UK and India. Different aspects of collaboration, different aspects of partnership. Um, it's been great listening to all of you. We have we have five minutes left, and I really want to give each of the panelists an opportunity for some brief closing remarks. And let me start first with Nandita, and then go to Shobana, and come to Karan, and finally to CB. So Nandita, you go first. Um, thank, thank you very much, Mr. Ross. Um, uh, my closing remarks, you know, I want to keep it very simple. We are looking forward to 2021 with, you know, great anticipation. Um, we find for ourselves, India is such a key market and not, um, and, and it can't be done with one player itself. So we are always interested in, in um, collaborating. We also, um, you know, we're champions of mobilizing investment into India. Uh, and uh, along with other partners. So, you know, we, we look forward to the opportunity and the growth um, that, um, that is- Thank you, Nandita. You brought a different dimension 
into this conversation and added uh, uh, something which is very important. So thank you so much for being here. Shobhanam? Uh, it's a tougher world. It's a new world. Uh, and, and companies today are expected to grow, uh, to recover first. And, and I think not take, you know, the burden of what, uh, of what this COVID is to the next generation or to the future generation, which means that it's on all of us. There's also a lot of emphasis on ESG. And I think that India, India and UK understand the challenges of this new world. And if we don't uh, seize this opportunity now, uh, within this year, this is the defining year, it'll, it might be, we, we would have, we'd miss out on almost a decade. Thank you so much, Shobhana. It was great. Uh, and great to have you with us, as always. Thank you so much. Karan. Uh, thank, thank you, firstly, Karan, for sharing this so fantastically and to be with my fellow panelists. And thank you again to Ananta Aspen and to the Aspen Institute. This has been great. What this shows is, in this short time, how much ground we've covered. But we haven't covered so much as well. Uh, yeah. Our new British High Commissioner to India, uh, Alex Ellis, um, he, he summarized, he said there are, there are four priority areas for the relationship. One is climate change, which we've all spoken about, and we've got COP26 to look forward to, which is great news. The other is health. So, Shobhan, I mean, you know, health has come to the fore in this, this pandemic, which has been a health crisis, an economic crisis, a global crisis. The next is defense and security, which we've, we haven't really had a chance to talk about. The enormous potential, not only in business terms, but actual joint exercises and our services working together uh, on the global stage. Huge potential uh, for that uh, going forward. And finally, trade and investment, which of course we've spoken about. So I think we're at, we're at a crossroads now where we can really, really turbocharge our relationship with the Prime Minister's visit. And if we both go the extra mile, wow, the opportunities are going to be great. Karan, I'm so glad that Aspen UK reached out to you because uh, you've been in this for so long. And it's great to hear your confidence, your optimism about the future. And um, you and CB together have to make a lot happen as we go forward. So great to have you here, Karan, and wonderful to see you. Thank you very Chandra much. Mr. Banerjee. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's a great session. Thank you for this session. This was an excellent session. We uh, took a stock of what's going on and we really looked ahead. Uh, but two uh, thoughts I uh, uh, try and touch upon, which probably has not been touched upon during the course of the last one hour or so, and leave it for topics of discussions in, uh, for the future. Uh, uh, one is uh, a lot has been achieved through institutional connects uh, between the two countries. Uh, some institutions have played a huge role, of course, uh, the uh, CBI, CII, but I'm talking about specific institutes like say, for instance, uh, on the manufacturing side, the Warwick Manufacturing Group and us to look, at, to, to look at technology, to look at new manufacturing, to look at making Indian industry competitive and like taking them uh, and investing there uh, in, in the U UK so successfully. So I, I'd really like to, uh, to see uh, us plot those type of institutions one-to-one. Uh, different institutions which can really take forward many of these threads that we are living today, be it on water, be it on green, be it on food and agriculture, 
there are institutions which we can connect up. And I, I think we would love to look at those connecting those dots of institution. Second point, which I thought I'll leave, uh, uh, leave again, we talked about the states of India uh, and we talked about uh, how different they are. But I think uh, uh, going back to UK to explore the opportunity for enhancing this uh, two-way trade that we talked about, the investments that we talked about, we must look beyond the London metropolitan area and, and venturing more uh, businesses into the hint hinterland. So I, I, I look, really like to look at a, a Manchester how, uh, uh, and how we can work on that or a West Midlands uh, or a Scotland-India partnership or a Northern powerhouse type of an Indian par par partnership. So all of that, which, which needs to be uh, probably uh, topics of discussion for us in India to see how we can look at UK. Thank you. Thank you very much, Chandrajit. Thank you, uh, the great points. Uh, and it's very good to have you here. I, I just want to close with, uh, I've thanked each of you. I want to close with a request to Karan and to CB because uh, you all head two of the national apex institutions of industry. Please start another Indo-British partnership initiative, IBPI2. This is time. This is time for another beginning, a new beginning. And you have uh, the ladies who have spoken, one from the finance area, one from the healthcare area. Uh, there are so many opportunities. Finance is available. We want to have a clean India. We want to have a clean industry and we want sustainable finance to come in, but why don't the two of you have a powwow tomorrow morning about a framework for a new IBPI coinciding with the exchange of visits of the two prime ministers. So thank you all. Thank you to the audience. Thank you to Aspen UK and to Ananta Aspen Center, to Penny Richards and Kiran Pastricha and their teams. That's it for now. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow us on Twitter at UK underscore Aspen. And to stay up to date with our work and future discussions, check out our website at aspenuk.org. Well, wasn't that amazing? It was created and produced by podcast partners. They're really lovely people and rather good at all this podcasting guff. Find out more at podcastpartners.com.